Good morning. You in Genesis chapter 7? If you are, that's good, but we're going to go back a little bit into chapter 6. But I wanted to also mention that last week I had a bunch of these cards on the genealogy that you find in Genesis, and uh, we, they went quick. So I've made a bunch more, and they're on, at the connection desk. It basically gives you the, the um, overlapping of the lives in, in, the, in Genesis there on those genealogies, and it's very it's fascinating, actually, to look at who is living with who, when who. So uh, that's not Dr. Seuss. That's just who here, okay? All right. So Genesis chapter 6, if you would stand with your Bibles, I'm going to read some of chapter 6 to kind of get a running start into chapter 7. We're going to do chapter 7 and 8 this morning, but I'm not going to be doing, reading all of them. It's a lot there, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll skim some. But for the most part, we're going to look this morning at, in the flood, we're going to wait with God. And so Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, God speaking to Noah, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Alive. Now, here's a, a, a three times that we read this in verse 22 of Noah. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. Let's pray. So, Lord, again, we come to your word reverently, expectantly, and thankfully. That you've given to us your holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. That we can read this and you speak to us because it's living and powerful. And, Lord, how we long to hear from you. I pray, Lord, as we do every, every Sunday, that when, when we come here and we leave, we can say, surely God's among us. I think of the churches in Revelation, Lord. You walked among them, and you had some things to commend and some things that you were reproving them. But Lord, the bottom line is we need to hear from you, and we want to respond to you according to your word, according to the things that you've spoken to us, that we might live our lives in a way that is worthy and that represents and shines as a light of who you are. So please, Lord, I ask your blessing on the things I prepared. You break them fresh. We trust you, Lord. We trust your word. And now we want to hear under it that you might speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the wickedness of man had become great on the earth. And the Lord said, I will destroy man from the face of the earth. The Lord told Noah to make an ark to keep them alive. The floodwaters were on the earth. We read that seven times. The waters were on the face of, the, listen, the whole earth. The floodwaters covered the mountains on the earth by some 30 feet. So there were no little islands sticking up above the water. It was covered completely on the face of the whole world. So the question is, how long can you tread water? <laughs> so I begin by declaring to, 
by declaring all these things to be true. I declare them to you as God has given them to us. We are not following some cunningly devised fable, but rather we are believing in an amazing, good, and loving God who wants us to know him and therefore has revealed himself to us through his word. So this was not a localized flood. It was earthwide. Not one human being survived. Everything that was on the earth died, except for those eight souls that were on the ark with the animals. And the Lord shut them in. So first of all, not a localized flood. Secondly, this is not some mythical story. It really happened on the earth. The same earth that that Noah lived on is the same earth that we live on. God made only one. However, there's coming a new heaven and new earth when God will recreate it all. And we're looking forward to that. So the same earth was then repopulated by the three, through the three sons of Noah, whose names were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we all are descendants of these three men, of one of them, not all of them, one of them for each of us. Now, so that's what, not localized. It's not a myth. The third question, the question I have is, do you really want to know if this is true? Now, I believe I'm not speaking, I'm speaking to a minority, I hope, among us. But I hope in coming to Calvary that you've gained a reverence and an understanding that God's word is God's word and what he said is true. And so we're not questioning that. We're not wondering about it. But do you really want to know that if this is true, then I would say, please, don't stick with some refuse-to-believe narrative that the Bible is just a bunch of mythical, ridiculous, or impossible stories that are not worthy of your time. My question to you, have you ever honestly, and I I believe I'm speaking to a minority, but if there's anyone here, this is so important, I want to start with these thoughts. My question, have you ever honestly checked the Bible out for yourself? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Like many former scoffers and skeptics, you may discover that not only was it worth your time, It actually is worth your soul. So what are you waiting for? We're talking about waiting with God. You see, God is waiting for you, but he will not wait forever. There's coming a time when judgment will come. Now, should you survive until then, it's not going to be fun. But should you die before them, it's accounted for men to die once and then the judgment. The question is, when you go, when your life is over, how will you stand before God? In Christ and saved or having rejected Jesus Christ and have an eternity separated from God in damnation. That's the truth. That's what God's declared. So I'm convinced that the Bible can be trusted on testable matters like Noah's Ark. I also know that many Christians believe that the Bible can only be trusted on matters of faith and morals but not on scientific matters. But Jesus told Nicodemus, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, if the Bible can be wrong on testable matters, such as geography, history, and science, why should it be be trusted in matters like the nature of God and life after death, which are not open to empirical testing? If we can't trust it for the other things, how can we trust it for that? 
So I have done my share of reading about the ark and the flood and have come to believe it all happened some 4,000 plus years ago. But others believe differently. And for me, that's okay to a point. But the important thing is to know that it did, in fact, really happen. That's what's important. There is plenty of scientific research and ongoing discoveries that will blow your mind as to the credibility of an actual worldwide flood and an actual ark designed by a real God built by a real man named Noah. And that this ark could actually house one male and one female of every living thing in order to keep them alive through a worldwide flood. Plenty of evidence. Now, that's the important thing, to know that it, it did, in fact, really happen. But here's something that's more important. That's to know that God really did judge the world. And after warning and warning, and after waiting and waiting patiently for many, many years, judgment, which we're reading about today, came. That's more important to know and believe. God said, my spirit, in, in, we looked last week, Genesis 6, 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. And there comes a point, as there did in Genesis, where God said, it's over. I'm going to judge. And there's a second one coming. God wiped out the entire human race, and he says this in every time, that he created. He can do that. He created all of it. That I created. He judged it because of the wickedness that had come upon into the hearts of human of mankind. So God is coming, going to judge again. And that's more important to know that God will judge. But here's the most important thing to know. The day of the Lord is coming. And God will judge the world again, this time not by water. We'll look at that next week, but by fire. Now, do you believe these things? In believing, you know that what God said is true and what God said will happen. Now, Jesus said, as the days, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 37, verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, going on with life as though God doesn't exist and there's no problem. Until the day that Noah, listen, entered the ark. We'll read that today. And did not know, the world did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We must know that is the most important thing that you need to consider and that we need to understand. And believe. It changes how you live your life. Jesus came the first time as the suffering servant the substitute sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we read in Hebrews that it will come a, he will come a second time apart from sin for salvation, but not to everyone, to the believer. So we who are, in a sense, saved in the ark of the gospel, when Jesus comes the second time, it will be apart from sin that's been taken care of for those who put their trust in Christ for salvation. But when Jesus comes a second time, he will judge those who've rejected him by not believing the gospel. It's that simple. That's the most important thing that you need to know if you do not know Christ yet. God loves you. He's provided for you. He's waiting patiently, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
So Jesus said this, Mark 8, 36, what will it profit a man if he gain the, gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's personal, his own soul, his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, that's where decision needs to be made, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when? When he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's coming a second time. We will be found in Christ or we will be found in sin. So you owe it to your reasonable self to find out for yourself. And again, I believe and hope that I'm talking to just a few, but even if there's just one person and that's you here, know this, God so loves you. He gave his only begotten son. You are, you are so important that Jesus said, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents and over 99 who need no repentance. And I'm, I'm hoping that all of us, but if you're not, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're going to also take communion today. But before we take communion, which is for the believer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. I believe the story of Noah in the ark speaks of the gospel, speaks of our salvation, and how God is with us in our salvation in the gospel. So the Bible is God's revelation of himself from the beginning to the new beginning. From creation and sin to the promised Savior and his salvation, that is Jesus. We believe that the whole of the Bible is written and preserved that we might know him, the only true God in Jesus Christ. We said, how? Through the gospel. Now, when scoffers and skeptics are arguing with us and having conflict with the known and saying, no, the Bible is conflicts with known scientific facts and all those things. How should we respond? Well, God tells us. Paul told Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Have you ever had those conversations? He says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, Patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Listen, if God perhaps will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that's between them and God, and they'll come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil who's taking them captive to do his will. What is it? How to respond? Gentleness, humility, not arguing, not getting all this confidence, just saying, hey, here, have you considered this? Have you done that? I heard a great thing when I was at the a conference in Florida last week. As someone's going on about, well, God's like this, and God's like that, and he's an angry God, and he's this God, and he's that God, and he's this God. And someone said, the way they respond to this, well, I don't believe in that God either. Let me tell you about the God I believe in. Like Paul told you know, the unknown God, I want to talk to you about him. And we just need to understand, hey, God's not caused to argue them into the kingdom. No one's ever been argued into the kingdom. Except when they're arguing with the Holy Spirit and checking it out for real. The Holy Spirit's a good convincer, wouldn't you say? He's convinced all of us. So then Paul said this, the next chapter. But know this, after saying don't quarrel, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. 
We live in perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, un and on goes the list. That's the world we live in. But Paul's saying before that, don't be, be gentle, be humble, seek to win them to the gospel. Peter said it this way. Peter has a lot to say about Jesus' coming. Peter said this, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Just say, God, you are the treasure of my heart. I'm set aside for you. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. I look at that. Keep God in focus all the time. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. It's a glorious thing when someone's been so shamefully treating a believer and they come to Christ and all of a sudden they come and say, I am so sorry. I think Paul the Apostle did a lot of apologizing because he was killing Christians. But that's what happens. And we see the, they see the conduct. Now, there are so many resources and so many books and so many places that you can direct people to who want to see what's going on, want to know what's happening. But more, that's important, but more important to me is that we've done the same that we've checked it out, that we have at least something we can share with someone to give them something to think about in the realm of rational, reasoned thinking. And some of you have given yourself to that in this particular area. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing every time you begin to look just little snippets of God's word being true. Now, God's salvation for Noah in the ark and through the flood goes like this. Let me put it up here. I'm just going to leave it up here. God's revelation to Noah. Then Noah believed, and we have his preparation. Secondly, God's instruction, or you could put their invitation. I wasn't sure which one to put because there's an invitation come into the ark. But God's instruction and what Noah obeyed because of his convictions. And then the third is, God's protection, he shut him in, and a new beginning, which was his salvation. This is the track that we are on as believers. God has given us revelation. Do we believe it and are we preparing accordingly? Secondly, God gives us an invitation. We have continual invitation from God to come to him or instruction, come into the ark. The question is, are we going to obey in the midst of the flood? See, that gets down to our convictions. Are we really growing in a deep conviction to follow God's instruction, to respond to his invitations, to trust him, to take us through the things this world off, uh, puts against us? And then finally, God's protection. It says, he shut Noah in. And then that led through the storm, through the flood, everything else is dead, to a new beginning. I believe that God, I know this, God is the God of new beginnings. And all the things we go through in this life as believers bring us to another new beginning with God. 
He's the God of the again. Again. That is so fantastic. When you think about the flood and being with God, going through it with God, it's a completely different life when you're going through it with God. Would you say amen? So we have this God's revelation to Noah. You shall go into the ark. Now that's in chapter 6. He said, make yourself an ark. I'm going to destroy it. You make yourself an ark. And what did Noah do? He made an ark, just like God told him. Verse 22, this Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So God's revelation to Noah did not fall on deaf ears or a hard heart. He did it. Now, up to that point, what's rain? Up to that point, what's an ark? Up to that point, are you kidding? But God revealed something to Noah, and he believed it. And then he responded to that. He prepared, he built the ark. And it didn't take just a couple weeks with a lot of machinery. <laughs> it took years, 120 years for him to build this thing, or 100 or so, to build this ark. Now, how many times have you spent 100 years on building anything? Let me tell you, you probably will never do that. <laughs> we just don't live that long. But for Noah, that's how long he built. So Hebrews, again, we looked at this last week, but let me repeat it. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Faith Noah, faith Noah. By faith, this is what happened for Noah. He believed what God said. And because of that, he prepared himself he prepared the ark. He prepared for what he believed was coming. So he wa Noah wasted no energy wondering and questioning God. I've spent a lot of energy doing just that. Because Noah believed God for what he now knew was coming because he believed God. He focused all his energies to immediately prepare according to what God had commanded him. So he did. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us in believing to respond immediately. We had a parenting class one time. It says anything less than first-time obedience is disobedience. May God help us by his spirit. Now, what I'm not saying is to be busy. Busyness may well be the enemy of preparing for Jesus' return. We must be about doing business with God in our hearts and about our hearts. That's what I'm talking about. That what's taking place between me and God is becoming more and more the real deal. What Noah teaches us is that God's warnings, when really taken to heart, will shape a faith of godly fear clearly evidenced in righteous and holy living. That's what happens. So God's revelation, Noah, believe his preparation, that's what happens. First Peter, again, Peter has a lot to say. Would you turn to First Peter chapter 1 for a moment? Interesting, when we were praying this morning in our little prayer room for the service, uh, Jeff read this passage. I said, I think that's in my notes this morning. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, Upon the grace, remember Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. 
Obedience is so critical. We're not working for salvation, but we are working from salvation. It should change our lives. And when we believe what God has revealed to us, it changes our whole way, the whole way we live in preparing for what we know God has said is coming. As, as obedient, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, no longer ignorant, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct means set apart as is written, be holy for I am holy. Listen, because God has revealed himself to us and we take that to heart, we believe it, it changes our very inner character. Amen. We become more and more like Christ. How? Through obedience. Doing what God has called us to do in preparation for what God will come when he calls us home. Since you have purified, verse 22, your souls in obeying the truth, how? Through the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and, and transform us. And he does that and will do that, but it's in response because we, we're partnering with God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. We're both God's come into our lives, and together he's wanting to walk us down that path of righteousness for his name's sake. But we have to be a willing participant through obedience to live holy lives. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Again, Peter has a lot to say about this Jesus' second coming. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be, here it is again, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, the revelation, Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. You with me? God's revelation, when we believe that, it changes how we live because we're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for the future, our time with God. Ephesians says you were once darkness, but now you're light and Lord. Walk as children of light. We're to walk differently in preparing our lives before our God in holiness and righteousness and, God and godliness. So I say wait wisely for God. Wait wisely with God. Be wise and know the will of the Lord. Walk circumspectly, knowing what's all going around, and be filled with the Spirit and walk with God. Wait patiently with God. Now, God's instruction, no obey because of his convictions. Look at, back to Genesis chapter 7. Now, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. So here's instruction. You might even look at it as an invitation. Now, he didn't say go into the ark. Why is that? Because God was in the ark with Noah. He said, you come into the ark. And all, through that whole life, God was with him. Know this, no matter what might be the circumstances of your life, Whatever is going on, God is with you. And I will say to you who don't know Christ, you're an unbeliever this morning. Let me tell you this. God is also with you, but the job's a little different until you come to him where you understand he is with you to save you through everything that you might go through. Change your life. But until then, 
The Holy Spirit is with you and he's convicting you of your need for God. And I hope and pray that as we're going through the word and you're hearing these things, that you will respond to that conviction, the conviction of, of sin because you do not believe in him. The only way your sins can be forgiven is through Christ and what he offered, when he offered himself on the cross for your sin. The one sin that will condemn you is that you're refusing to receive God's forgiveness, which is only offered through repentance, the door, and through Jesus, who is the only sin bearer this world has ever known. And he's taking your sin on himself. He said, if you'll come, the invitation, you come, you will be saved. You will be saved. And he says, you shall take seven of each, and he talks about that. Look at Verse 5, and Noah did again according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. Noah's faith in his preparation resulted in a faith of deep conviction. That's what happens. When we start living differently in light of the future, in light of what's coming, knowing what's happening, we're living our lives now for God, for eternity. As we continue doing that, our convictions become deeper and deeper and deeper. And my brother says, may I tell you, that takes time, perseverance, and obedience. Where my convictions become that which drive me forward in my obedience. So Noah's faith and his preparation result in a faith of deep conviction. So Noah, verse 7, with his sons, his wife, his sons, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, they hadn't seen them yet. But they're going in because they were convinced. And here's Noah building the ark for 100-something years. And you better believe as he's building that and building that, he's saying, God, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be pretty mad. I've been working all the time. No, he's, on, he's building because he knows it's coming. And he's a preacher of righteousness, Peter tells us. So he knew he would see what God said was coming. So verse 10, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken. They were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Verse 12, the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. He said, we were in there, it's coming, and they saw it happen. They saw it happen. Now, it's cataclysmic, all these things that happened. The fountains breaking up, the windows of heaven opening up to where the earth was flooded and completely covered 30 feet or so over the highest mountain that existed at that time. And I would say, just wait expectantly. God is with you. Now, verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. The invitation, they entered. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, and every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. Again, Noah obeyed his convictions were solid and deep. This is coming. And so he also affected his three sons, their wives, and his wife himself. Tremendous. Now, as we looked at last week, do you mind if I give you a couple more of my little poems? This is just artistic in, in the making. Listen. All those years of preparing the ark were never for Noah a walk in the park. I thought it was pretty good. It's my lame poems. <laughs> it was not easy for Noah 
and it won't be easy for us. We talked about this last week. There's another one. Noah's faith in God as seen in his righteous living condemned the world as being wicked and unforgiven. And that's what it tells in Hebrews. His righteous life was a light that convicted the world. Did he have an impact in the world? You bet he did. Those that came with him as his convictions led them right into that ark, they were saved, but the rest of the world scoffed at it. We are going to suffer. This world is not easy. We read James and Peter, Paul, all talking about this thing called trials. And the way they talk about it, I don't really like it. How about you? James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Yeah, right. But he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. I don't want patience. You're going to need patience. See, that's godly character. That's righteous living. That we are with God. We're believing him. We're obeying him. We have deep convictions. And so when we read these things in his word, really we don't like it, but we desire it. Amen? We want to go deeper with God. How does that happen? Through trials, floods, Overrunning water, things that seem so impossible are the things through which God makes all things possible. Peter says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, Peter, you greatly rejoice. Just like James, they must have been talking to you. Let's put the same thing in there. You, you, me, we'll write the same thing. In these, you, by various tri- in this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God's given us revelations. We believe them, thus we change, it changes how we live. We're preparing. God gives us invitations all the time. He gives us instructions all the time. And as we respond in obedience and preparing and living our lives differently, God deepens the convictions and we grow. We come deeper and deeper in who God's created us to be in being made like his image. Is that what you want this morning? It's what I want. How does it happen? Trials, difficulties, floods. And I say, wait patiently for God. Verse 16. So those that, so those that entered male and female of all the flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I find this interesting. It doesn't say he shut them in. He said he shut him in. Noah, he's the representative for all of this. He's the one that God spoke to. But the other thing I find in this is that even with all of his preparation, all of his convictions, all of his persuasions, Noah could not shut himself or anyone else in. God had to do that. And all the way along, it was God's doing. The plan, the purposes, and then fulfilling his promises were all of God. And God shut him in, and that's where he protected him. God's protection through this cataclysmic, whole earth judgment 
God shut him in. And so this is the initial point of reference as to the length of the deluge, the flood. For it begins 40 days and 40 nights. And again, I'm not going to take time to go through them except to say this. The flood on the earth is contrasted with those safe with God in the ark. It's a beautiful picture. As you read, beginning in Genesis chapter 7, as we begin to get the seven days and then 40 days, and then we begin adding the days, rounding up to be 370 days on a 30-day calendar, more than a year, this whole thing was happening. God was with Noah, his wife, their sons, all those animals with them in the ark. And the contrast is, here's what's going on earth, and here's what's happening with those in the ark. It's beautiful. When judgment was on the earth, salvation was in the ark. When drowning on the earth, rising above the waves in the ark. When destroyed on the earth, they are destined to be delivered in the ark. When helpless on the earth, there's hope in the ark. When death is the end on the earth, a new beginning is what happened when they came out of the ark. And that's the story, that's the gospel for us. That in the ark of God's salvation, which is the gospel, Jesus Christ is our living hope. Jesus Christ is our eternal destiny. Jesus Christ gives us a whole new beginning. Now, when Noah and those came out of that ark to a whole new beginning, we are reminded again that it's not just through this life that God is with us, but he's going to be with us into the life to come where God promises also he's going to make all things new. That's the story of the ark. That we, through this life, but not only this life, into eternal life where God is going to make all things new. Revelation chapter 22. Hmm. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This glorious anticipation and beauty when it begins to happen. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, this is God. Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. That's the gospel. We're on a good ride, would you say? God takes us through everything. The waters may increase on the earth, but we're going to rise above them. The waters may prevail exceedingly and even cover, but God himself will keep us about the waters. Flesh may die and move on the earth, but God himself will be with us and we will not die, but live forever. And God will at one point then remember. It's interesting. God remembered Noah in verse, chapter 8, verse 1. And when God remembers, it's for two things that the Bible points to. Number one, he's about to deliver them. And secondly, he's about to grant an answer to their petitions. 
You have both operating. When God is remembering, as we're reading the Bible on several occasions, he remembered Noah, remembered Abraham. It's for these two things, to deliver and to answer their petitions. And I love, Jesus said, Revelation says, that all the prayers of the saints are being gathered in these golden bowls, and they're going to be poured out. And as we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's another one in the golden bowls, and God's going to pour them out and say, I've done it. I've done it. It is finished. It's all over. And so this whole 370-day ride with God with them in the ark. And finally, that's over, and God tells them, verse 15 of chapter 8, new beginning. Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your daughters and wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth. So God's saying, go out of the ark and abound on the earth. A new beginning. That's what God did. He Washed the earth clean, if you will, and gave this whole new beginning. Now, we're going to get this next week in our, ne- in our next study in Genesis 9 and 10. I hope you'll read ahead, but we want to talk in that, those two chapters. We walk with God before the flood. In the flood, we wait with God. And then after the flood, we worship God. We want to talk about that. We worship him who is worthy of all of our worship. So this great flood and great waters are used in the Bible often as a picture of those things that overwhelm God's people and seem to be taking them out. And then how God delivers his people many times from things that they brought on themselves. Are you not thankful for the mercy and grace of God? There's many times we bring them on ourselves like David did. You know, when he should have been out with his soldiers up on the roof and he sees Bathsheba, and he looks, ooh. And he sins against God in adultery. He kills her husband. He tries to hide it. And you know when things are going on in your life and you're living secretly, you know these things, how it just seems like you're drowning in the things that you're not talking about, the things you're not confessing. They just seem to pile up until you feel like, well, what am I going to do? And a lot of times when that's going on, we deceive ourselves in thinking that, We don't have to think about it. No, no. Listen. Those are the kinds of things that God's saying, come to me. Come into the ark. I'll be with you there. Let's ride this thing out and let's get it taken care of. I want to give you a new beginning from whatever's going on. And David had this drastic thing that happened. In fact, as God's summing up David's life, he said, he was a man from my own heart, except in the matter of Bathsheba or Uriah the Hittite. That was the one time and God looked at it and said, that was disastrous. And David, as he's writing about this in the Psalms, says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. This is Psalm 32. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah, which means, stop and we'll just think about that. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. How? Confession. Honesty. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Think about it. You see, That's the story of the gospel. Where God's revealed things and we believe them and we prepare, we seek to live differently because of those things. That's the gospel. 
where God then gives instruction or gives invitations. In the midst of everything that's coming, he says, you come in with me. You come in. You come in. And as I'm preparing and living my life for him, my convictions begin to make an impact in my life and others. And I may run away as David did. I may do something wrong as David did, but let me tell you, there's no other answer than to come back to Christ. Come back to God. Come back to the invitation and get it right. Now, David, consequences, he paid the consequences. Yes, he did. But he found in God, in confession, in repentance, peace. And in the midst of a crazy world, and particularly in the midst of the floods and waters and things that heap themselves, we need peace in knowing that we are protected and secure in the gospel, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. Solomon said this, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. When you know and I know I'm loved by God, come what may, it can't wipe that out and it won't. Herein is love, not that I love God, but that he loved me and gave his son to die on a cross for me. God demonstrated his love toward me in that while I was a sinner, Jesus died on a cross for me. And that's what we're going to be remembering in communion. His love casts out fear. It's perfect. It can't quench, be quenched, though come what may. And how many of you have anchored yourself and cling to that truth? God loves me. One of the simple songs in all we are. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that is so powerful and so true. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. One of the passages known by everyone. The greatest lover, the greatest love, the greatest promise, the greatest difference is found in John 3, 16. And finally, Jesus said this, therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Here it is. God's revealed things to us, and we believe them, and we live differently. Through the course of our Christian experience, God instructs us and invites us continually back to himself, Come in, come in. And as we do that through obedience, whether whatever it might be, our convictions are shaped in godly living and holiness. And yes, we may still fail, but there's a deepening of my reality as far as who God is and how I am related to him. And that leaves his whole experience, the protection of God that gives me a new beginning. So we're going to take communion together. This is for the believer, as I said in the beginning. We're remembering Jesus' death until he comes. The reason it's for the believer is because we're confessing, we're actually declaring that Jesus' death on the cross is the only way that our sins can be forgiven. So if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, what the Bible says is to take it is to actually be drinking and eating judgment to yourself. Because what we're declaring is there's only one way to be saved. And forgiven. And so it's not this thing where God's saying, no, 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 you're not good enough. No, he's saying, no, 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 you haven't come to me yet. You haven't come to me yet. So my brothers and sisters in the room, would you just bow your heads in prayer right now? 
Before we take communion, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus yet, you haven't said yes to Jesus, you're not sure about your, your eternal destiny, you have no really understanding of hope after the grave, there are three things I'm going to ask you to do in responding to the gospel. Number one, I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand and say, I, I want to say yes to Jesus' day. And that's simply so that I can see your hand and, and recognize that. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up because as you confess Jesus and you stand before people, it's not to embarrass you or like God, you prove anything. What it's saying is, what you're saying to God is between you and God. You're standing up and saying, I know that this is what I need. I know this is what you've provided. I know it's the only way, and I'm going to stand up because I need you, Jesus. And when you do that, I will confess to you, as many in this room will also, all the excuses, all of your fears, all of the reasons you haven't done this yet are going to be washed away because now you're being obedient to the gospel, and when you are, you will experience God for yourself for the first time in a very real way. So I'm going to ask you to rip, raise up your hand, stand up, and then walk up to one of the tables on either side of the room. And that's where people will pray for you. So as we're just praying before we take communion, before we hand out the emblems, if that's you this morning, this is the most important thing we can ever do in any service, is give an opportunity for you, if that's you, to come to Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven, and know that when you die, you will live forever. So we're praying. If that's you, just slip up your hand and keep that up so that I can see that. I don't want to miss one God does, God will not miss. I don't want to miss even one soul this morning saying, I need to say yes to Jesus today. I need my sins forgiven. I need my conscience cleansed. And I need my future solidified. I'm going to know. That's you. Just raise up your hand. Keep that up. And we're praying. And Lord, we are thankful for the gospel. And we sit in this room not as ones who want up anyone, but we've come and bowed down before you on the cross. And Lord, as we take communion together, we receive the bread and we receive the cup. On the night you were betrayed, you said, this is my body and this is my blood. And so, Lord, we hold these things reverently. We know that these are, this is a moment right now that you've given to your church to remember your death until you come, to give us an understanding in our hearts and a deeper conviction of just how much you love us demonstrated when you died on the cross for my sin. So the emblems are going to be passed out. If you just hold them as we worship, once we receive them, I'll, I'll come up and we'll take them together as the body of Christ. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.